Brilliant. So we began our pattern teaching series with beloved identity. And uh, we then touched on how this understanding of ourselves as loved and graced by God spills out into our togetherness of lives of friendship and the, the necessary um, calling of forgiveness in the midst of that. And now it's time for something a bit different. It's module number three, materialism. What I'm going to do today is just set the scene for what is to come in these next weeks of Lent. So Lent began with the, the dust of Ash Wednesday. And in the, these Sundays, what we're going to be doing is, is opening up ideas around uh, consumerism, uh, disposal, climate, the global systems that we're attached to. And I hope you're ready for some serious thinking uh, because just today we're going to be taking a look at geology and bulldozers and air-conditioned chapels because, as we shall see, everything matters. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the very first line of the Bible. The God who is spirit, who is beyond all physicality, creates the material universe. So light, dark, sea, land, plants and animals. And the verdict, and God saw that it was good, is the line that recurs in that poetry of Genesis 1. The physical stuff of the universe is not evil. It's not even neutral. It is good. In fact, if it's created by God then it is communicating something to us. There is a creative intelligence that is leading us in our encounter with the world all around us, leading us into meaning and leading us into wisdom that is not just our invention, which is why, as the Pope uh, 2015 did this big encyclical sort of, you know, address on the environment, he wrote about how the loss of biodiversity that, that we have done is, is not just a loss of resource, but it is also a loss of meaning, a diminishment of meaning. It's like if the creation is declaring the glory of God, by our actions, we're, we're turning off channels of, of meaning there. The pinnacle of this creation, humans. Uh, verse, uh, Genesis 1.26 says that, that this... These remarkable creatures, human beings, are made in the image of God, that we bear his image, that we reflect something of the God who's beyond all physicality into the creation. The parallel poem in Genesis 2 has it that expresses the same idea that, that human beings are, are the dust, are, are dust from the ground that the creator has breathed something of his divine life into. So human beings are... Uh, are this, this coming together. We are, we are dust and we are breath. We are biology and we're something more. We are embodied souls. We are physical and we are spiritual. There is something uh, precious and unique about human life on the face of the earth, but it is not all good. After the first two chapters of the Bible that affirm the essential goodness of things, it very quickly goes uh, downhill, and that the Bible is searingly honest about the profound mess of things. It is not trying to pretend that all is well. So let's talk geology. Geology is, of course, the study of, shout it at the screen, rocks. That's right. 
And it is all about understanding the very formation of the, the, the crust of the, of the planet. Now, geology measures time in epochs. Very good. And the two most recent epochs are, that's right, the Holocene, and before that, the Pleistocene. Very good. You're about as brilliant as this as my children watching silently the educational interactive TV programs that they, uh, that they put out. Anyway, geologists and earth scientists have started using the term Anthropocene to describe the present geological epoch that is now so definitively shaped and dominated by a single species, anthropods. That's humans. The scale of human power now to dominate, to make over, and shape the entire planetary surface is astonishing. With our mining and our landfill and concrete and carbon transfer and inventions of nuclear weapons and plastics, here's the astonishing thing. If you were born, um, if you're listening to this over the age of 70, within your lifetime, we have turned a corner. And for the first time in millions of years of geological history, a single species has become the dominant geological agent. We're taking this things out of whack, this sort of alienation, this human alienation to whole new levels in our lifetimes. What a remarkable time it is to be alive. The title of a podcast episode worth listening to that I'm going to put out on the, the resources that follow on from these Sunday talks is this, we really existed and we really did this. We really existed and we really did this. We are all part of it. This is our dark human exceptionalism, this exceptional capacity to mess things up. The story of the Bible is searingly honest about the mess. It is also a story of redemption and renewal in Jesus Christ. Here's how the earliest Christians had it, as we read earlier, that the Son, Jesus Christ, that the Son is the image of the invisible God, that in this physical person, Jesus, stood the God who was beyond all physicality, that in this walking, talking, breathing, fish-eating human person was also the fullness of God. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, said our reading. So this here, in Jesus, we see the greatest coming together. This is the one who was before all things, who stands apart from all things, who nevertheless enters into our physicality, enters into our mess. Graces matter with his very real presence. This is the mystery, the miracle, the interruption of the incarnation. And it definitively affirms that this material reality is not God-forsaken. What happened to Jesus? He was killed, buried, and resurrected. Why? Verse 20 says, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 18 describes Jesus as the firstborn from among the dead. He is reattaching our matter to the very source of life. Every freedom abused, 
every turning away from the source of life, every destruction and corruption and pollution and dislocation can be put back together, healed, restored, forgiven, because the Creator has, at the greatest cost to Himself, made peace. He has become our peace. So creation affirms the essential goodness of matter. The incarnation affirms that this material world is not God-forsaken, and the resurrection affirms the enduring goodness of this material world. The resurrected Jesus, cast your, your memory back to the Gospels, he comes not as some ethereal ghost in the imaginations of the disciples, but he comes as this embodied, restored guy eating fish for breakfast. Come on, bring on the kippers. And so a biblical vision of the future is not a rejection of this material universe, but it's a renewal of it. We don't escape matter for some non-physical, disembodied, ethereal bliss. No, we look forward to a renewed and healed material existence. Between the years of 2008 and 2013, um, Laura and I had this summer habit of taking groups of students from our church in Oxford um, over to Madrid, where we would experience and encourage and support uh, the, the, the work of some drug rehab communities there in Madrid. And typically, at some point in the week, there would be this trip in the morning to a place on the outskirts of Madrid called Valdemar Gomez, which was this rubbish dump site, uh, which attracted, and, and I think the police encouraged, a whole lot of the drug activity to, out to this sort of out-of-sight, out-of-mind corner of the city. Anyway, this place was full on. There were bulldozers doing the whole landfill thing on one side of the fence, and then the drug dealers were there on the other side. And we went to invite um, some of the drug addicts to get on our minibus and begin their, their healing journey. It was full on, especially when on one trip, one of the, the, the dealers pulled out this handgun um, and the this, this student who was there at the time, the only Spanish they had was Hasta la Vista, really. And so it, it, it was this, this uh, overwhelming experience often, especially the first time you went. The sights, the smells, the brutal horror of the place. And what I liked to do um, after that, that kind of overwhelming experience in the morning was come back to the air-conditioned church chapel near, sort of near where we were staying, it was kind of like our base, and, and get out my trusty packet of fruit pastels, which were like my little home comfort sugar boost, and, um, and just sort of in the, in the nice cool and the calm, the artificial lighting replacing the bright sun, just kind of restore something of my kind of inner peace after this. Some of the students, I remember, would lie down across the plastic chairs inside this air-conditioned chapel and put on these big noise-canceling headphones and just block it all out. And I didn't blame them. But this contrasting day in Madrid, uh, the reason I'm telling you about all of this is because is it sets up for us these, these two sort of types, these two ways of engaging with material reality. Go with me on this. Bulldozers or air-conditioned chapels. So the way of the bulldozer, I want to suggest, typifies modern industrial society, dominating the material world, pursuing more growth, more profit, more consumption, more convenience. 
inventing meaning for ourselves. Human will is, is all that's really important in the way of the bulldozer, pursuing more of our grand agendas with little regard for the limits that might stand in our way. Of course, limitless growth in a finite environment is nonsense. It is as though, writes Rowan Williams, it is as though we did not really inhabit a material world at all. Nevertheless, our civilization continues, bulldozing its way through material reality. And deep down, we kind of know this is troubling, but it's also overwhelming and complicated and very demanding, really, to engage with this stuff. And we don't really speak the language. And we can find ourselves escaping to an air-conditioned chapel, and we have a lie down on the seats. And sometimes this is our kind of pious, religious response to some of these deep, problematic questions. And we put on a bit of a thin bit of theology, like some noise-canceling headphones that tell us that it's OK, because we're going to go and escape to heaven just as if the planet was some disposable irrelevance. And maybe we even pass around the fruit pastels and we look forward to flying out of here and we close our eyes to the crisis that actually should be our lament. And it really will be a defining lament accompanying my young children throughout their whole lives. That's not to mention those in much more vulnerable circumstances uh, who already have their livelihoods severely disrupted and devastated by what we have all done. So instead of riding the bulldozers, or instead of that kind of response that can be to escape to some air-conditioned chapel, what I want to suggest is a third way, a better way of engaging with material reality. And I'm calling this relearning to walk in the garden, like Adam and Eve back in Genesis, who walked in the garden with the Lord. And I, and I use that image just to try and describe a way of being, a way of being in the world that is, is firstly learning to respect limits, to receive the givenness of our finite material reality with, with actually reverence and gentleness. So instead of bulldozing our way through, it's about learning to respect the, the actual fairness of what is there, Instead of feeding our insatiable more that is just sort of in each of us, instead of that, we need to learn to establish our levels of enough. Resisting the, the lifestyle upgrades is our prophetic defiance. It's our prophetic witness. It is our calling. So, so I wonder what income level will be enough? How much travel is enough? What kind of normal do you hope to go back to after all of this disruption? About respecting limits. Secondly, walking in the garden, I think, is about learning to enjoy our connection to things, our earthness, our grounding. Sometimes you've just got to feel the rain on your skin. Sometimes you've got to take off the noise-canceling headphones and listen to the birds, grow some seeds, walk around barefoot for a bit, do some research to understand actually how that meal actually arrived on your, your plate. The pattern of Jesus is not about escaping to air-conditioned chapels and passing around bad theology about escaping to heaven when we die like a packet of fruit pastels. Our whole story is one of heaven coming to earth. So we have something so much better to pass around 
It's the sacraments where the grace of God actually meets us in matter. The water of baptism, the oil we use for anointing, the bread and the wine, matter is still graced by the real presence of God, which is nudging us. All of these, these practices and um, patterns of worship, they nudge us into a kind of sacramental lifestyle where we learn to appreciate the action of God in the everydayness of our actual lives. I keep saying actual. <laughs> the substance of our lives is what we're talking about. One theologian calls it heavenly participation, where as human beings, we're, we're received into this, this communion, this coming together. We learn to inhabit it, to confess Christ as the one in whom all things were created and in whom all things hold together. So this walking in the garden with God, it's about embracing our limits. It's about enjoying our connection. And finally, it's about rooting ourselves deeply enough in a big enough hope so that we are free to follow the way of the cross. Walking with Jesus in the midst of a very broken garden, joining in with his healing mission. So the first generations of followers of Jesus became known for seeking the welfare, not of their own little group, but the welfare of the whole city, caring for the poor, taking in the abandoned babies, speaking truth to power. And the resources for living in this sacrificial, other way, others first sort of way, came from their great hope of, in the final healing of things. Because of their ultimate secure inheritance, they were able to put their personal concerns and conveniences second to the needs of others in the city. In the global city of the 21st century, I think we need to reimagine something similar. To hear the call of organizations like Tear Fund and Arosha and to join them on the leading edge of the healing of things because of an urgent love for the most vulnerable, yes, and because it's true. The material world is good and graced and precious. It's all inherently spiritual. And so this Lent, in the weeks that follow in this materialism module, it's a call to become more properly materialistic to embrace limits, to respect reality, to cultivate wonder, and to live deeply in faith and hope and love. Let's climb down from the bulldozers, let's step out of the air-conditioned chapels, and let's learn to walk in the garden with the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord of all creation, the source of life, would you wake us up? Would you disturb our shallow lifestyle aspirations? Would you disrupt our shallow theologies of escape? And would you give us wisdom and wonder? Come, Holy Spirit, lead us into the prophetic witness of enough. Lead us 
into lament and lead us into joy. And where many of us are overwhelmed with complexity and with our capacity to ruin and destroy things. Lord, restore us with your capacity to heal and lead us into lives of faith and hope and sacrificial love, we pray. Amen.